folks, welcome into a brand new episode of Bullet Points. Tonight, I'm your host, Ty B, and I'll be joined by Kevin Masari and Mike Bunt. But first, we got to give a shout out to one of our main sponsors, West Her, and our main message, as always, hashtag buy from Bunt. And tonight, we got Bunt here himself to tell you all about the deals going down on Main Street in East Aurora. Yeah, guys, got to make it out to Main Street, get those Buicks, GMCs, Cadillacs. You saw LeBron James in that Hummer. That's going to come out later this year. Keep your eyes out for that if you have $100,000 to spare. Uh, and then uh, any anything that you need car-wise, come to me. Coming off a big month, so help me out, and I'll help you guys out. Bye from Bun. Hey, Mike, I'll, I'll be out to see you soon, Mike. I got to get rid of my lease, so I'll see you in the summer. Sounds good, man. <laughs> but, boys, we got to be talking about that game last week, Friday night. Just an oh, just a letdown for the Bulls and all their fans. So close at the very end. And you had that chance, and you just let it slip, literally, as Javon you know, went down trying to go around the elbow there for that pull-up jumper. Kev, we'll start it off with you. What are your initial thoughts on that loss, that one-point loss? I, I mean, look, they were up 14, um, kind of to close out the first half. Bowling Green went on a mini run. Sagu hit that three right before half to, to make it back to uh, that 12-point lead. Um, I mean, statistically, if you want to use win probabilities and probabilities of just basketball, college basketball in general, 93% win percentage at halftime due to the uh, double-digit lead. It was back up to, I have on my stat sheet, um, 90% as well toward the end of the game after uh, Jonathan Williams, um, or excuse me, a, uh, a, a, the three by Graves make it 66-62. Um, statistically, that's in your favor at that point on home court. I just, you know, Bowling Green made adjustments. They got a vote today for the AP Top 25 poll. Um, if it wasn't for Justin Turner, who they still only lost two games with, uh, if it wasn't for a bad Quinnipiac and Norfolk losses in the middle of their season, uh, we, we could be talking about a vastly different 19-3, uh, uh, and three, getting more votes than one Bowling Green team. They closed it out. UB did it. It's a, it's, 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 it's a challenge. Um, I thought they, you know, scoring 32 points in the second half isn't UB basketball. Uh, that's 64 points. That's like playing against an EMU team. Bowling Green does not have a good defense. We went over it uh, on our on our last show. Um, Justin Turner, um, you know, statistically looks the same as Javon Graves. Just to me, made another play that Javon didn't. Um, I think that that UB is lacking a pure go to go to score um, toward the end of a game. I mean, look, Jordan's probably their best guy. He can't hit a free throw, so now people are deliberately following him. It took a little bit longer than I thought it would. I thought we'd see that last year. We did a little bit, um, but, you know, they just went out and Huger said, we're just going to foul Devontae Jordan right now. Missed it. Nathan Williams gets the board and gets fouled and misses it. And I don't know what else to say other than that. You're not going to win basketball games shooting six for 13 from the line. They were, they were ridiculously good against Akron. Somehow it's just it's just, it's just a completely different team, half-to-half guys. So I know Mike generally, I think, has a little stronger of an optimistic point of view on it. Um, but I, I look at it like half to half. This team is who they are. I predicted this team to finish sixth or seventh when we did our preseason show. And I'm looking mighty good with that tie. Um, and I know um, I just the way that the tiebreakers are going to work out, they need to go on a massive run to get that top four seed. What do you think, Mike? You, I'm definitely more on the more optimistic side than what you are overall. 
I'm I'm not even worried really after that loss. I'm more encouraged about what I think this team is capable of doing in Cleveland now. Uh, we just saw them take on the three best teams, I believe, in the MAC back to back to back. They won one out of the three, uh, which you don't like to see, but each game was competitive and went down to the wire. Bowling Green is a talented team, and honestly, UB handled them in the first quarter, first half. Um, they just got off to a poor start to the second and couldn't make the plays in the final minutes to pull it out. But I thought they matched up really well. And honestly, I, I think on a neutral court in Cleveland with the MAC tournament experience that UB has, they'll have a chance to pull things out. And you mentioned UB will need to make a big run in order to finish in the top four. Well, why not right now? I mean, you, you have the schedule right in front of you to make a run. You're taking on Eastern Michigan, a bottom feeder. You're taking on Central Michigan at home, a team that you already beat on the road pretty convincingly. Then you go on the road against an average Toledo team. Ball State at home. Win the next four. You get you win those four, you get up to nine and four in MAC play. You have a chance to get a top four seed in the conference heading into March. And you know what? The record might not show it because of their horrendous play at Alumni Arena this year, which has really been shocking, I think, to all of us. But I really do see the talent in this team, and I think they're finally starting to find a bit of a rotation that, that works. Javon is scoring points. He is becoming the go-to guy. Josh and Bala is an offensive rebounding machine. I like what Jonathan is doing offensively. Uh, they just need to cut down on the turnovers, start making some free throws, and continue to defend because I've actually liked the way they've been playing on the defensive side of the court the last couple games. Yeah, but it just worries me still. Their three-point shooting, for whatever reason, even when they're struggling, they really seem to try to still fall back on it. You end up just two for ten there in, in that second half, and that really comes back to bite you. Um, just 36.8% overall in that second half. And they had been shooting so well from the free throw line the last three, four games in a row. And you come out and you just lay an absolute dud at home, uh, just six of 13 from the line. Like have said earlier, that's not how you're going to win games. You make two or three more of those and you win this game. And we have a completely different outlook on what's going forward. Um, obviously I'm still there with you, Mike, that, this team still has everything to make a run, you know, when we get to Cleveland, but it's all about getting there. And, you know, right now what they're doing with this, you know, three point game, it's really not working. And it looks like, uh, Cav, uh, Harden, it's finding his way on the outside of this rotation here. Yeah, it's a bummer. I mean, I mean, the between, um, an increased minute usage for Brock Bertram instead of going playing his typical, maybe five to 10 minutes, he's getting up 15, 13 to 18 minutes. Um, so that's eating into hard net. Um, and then you're getting Gabe Grant minutes, which is just uh, um, not my favorite move. He hit a three to win the game. His only, he went, you know, ended up shooting two for four that game, probably his best shooting day, scoring five points. Um, did hit a big three against Akron. Um, he misses that shot. Akron's running the floor. I don't know. There's a, there's a lot to look at with that shot to me. Good for him. Um, but yesterday, or excuse me, when they played uh, on Friday night, uh, he wasn't very good at all. He, he, he brings a tiny bit of juice defensively, which is something I didn't expect to see early on this year, uh, which I like. But the 13 minutes you're getting from him, um, you know, weren't particularly good shooting one for uh, four from field goal percentage. Um, 
you know, so he, and then at the end of the game, he brings on a huge board and throws it up like there's 22 seconds left. Like he <laughs> literally needs to collect the ball, kick it out, or go I'm, up. I mean, I'm literally having PTSD about that moment right now, Kev. I the, it literally it it's just like when you're watching like a middle school basketball game and you see like a kid get the ball and every time he's just nervous he throws it right back up like as soon as he touches the ball that's exactly what it was and there was 20 seconds left but Whitesell calls that timeout early with their last timeout you have no timeouts left you can't set anything up there even though you have a ton of time there. like you have to you have to know that in your head like why why would you not set something up or at least you know put the ball down and maybe you know try for a normal layup like you're just throwing it straight up Kev. like i don't i don't know what was going through his head there he played that like there was 0.5 seconds left. i'm completely fine with that if the clock was running out and he knew that was the only option he almost didn't know the time on the clock um it is they get bailed out anyways um by a 50 50 call which probably was the right go for turn. So I'm glad they got that right. Did look like it bounced off uh, Turner Turner's hand underneath on, on when Graves went up for it. Um, so I just, it's a critical time of the game. It should have been a really good, good position for the board. He had eight boards. So, you know, he's bringing some intangibles. I just never want to see him shoot. Um, and that's, that's, he's shooting 31% a good, a whopping 10% lower than their next lowest shooter um, on this floor. Um, well, Antoine Johnson shoots 37, so 6% lower than him and then 10% lower than anybody else. He just he has to pick and choose his shots. Throwing it up at the end of the game in critical crunch time is huge to me. Jonathan Williams um, should have been there putting that one up. Um, you know, Weitzel's been, been stingy with his minutes, and so I don't know if you guys noticed that, but he's being stingy with, with those minutes um, for Jonathan as the clock ticks under the, on the under four. So is there anything you see about that, um, uh, Mike, at all? Like, why is Jonathan on the bench come some of the crunch times and back-to-back games. Yeah, I'm not sure. That was That's a good observation, though. And it also seemed like uh, Josh Mbala's had his minutes uh, yep. trimmed at interesting moments in the last couple of games. And the one thing I was thinking with Mbala was that it made sense in the past. Obviously, um, you had uh, Perkins, Nick Perkins, coming off the bench because of fouls and everything to try to keep him. Uh, contained. So I was thinking that makes sense with Mbala. With Jonathan, I, I'm not really sure. Maybe it's a, uh, to, to spread things out. Maybe it's uh, a turnover issue. I, I know UB's had some some problems taking care of the ball, and it could be as as simple as a plus minus. Maybe they're they're playing well with with him out out of the game. But the way Williams has been attacking the hoop the last couple weeks. I want him in the game in these yeah. important situations. I know we've all been hard on him uh, so far during his UB career, but from where he was last year to where he is now, he's a go-to player. And you think about it as a sophomore averaging 12 points, nearly five rebounds and an assist and a half and a steal per game. Jonathan is a very important player for this team. And I just don't know how they're going to be better with him out of the game for large stretches in, in my opinion. But like, like you guys were saying, it, it must be uh, a combination of some of the earlier things we said. Yeah, it, it has to be. I don't, I don't know what else it could be. Um, obviously this team has kind of all struggled. I think um, turning over the ball, I think maybe it, it might be, maybe it's the same thing with Mbali. You see him constantly getting travels 
these unforced turnovers. It's the same thing. Jonathan does does this often, where he takes a step before he puts the ball on the ground. This is a natural reaction for most basketball players, and I know I didn't have it, but I feel like a Division One basketball player should have it at this point. And you know, maybe he's sending a message or whatnot. You know, hopefully it gets through to them because, like Mike uh, alluded to a little bit earlier on in this episode. We have a bunch of winning, winnable games coming up here, and you're going to have to take care of business. And we got to talk a little bit about EMU, and we're done talking about EMU because I don't really know. Right, you know, they're they're not good. <laughs> but actually, Kev, I know you did a little bit of research. Um, I did my research. They got four guys uh, between 10 and 11 points per game, and that's about it. Uh, what do you got there? Yeah, I mean, they're 450th in the country somehow in assists per game at 10. So I don't know where 450 comes from, but that's the number I have. Um, 370th in points per game at 64.9. Rebounds per game, 260 at 35. But points allowed, 63. They allow a whopping 14 points less per game than UB does. They held Toledo to 57 points, um, a team that scored 90 on average a couple of games ago. Um, all their games are low 70s, upper 60s. Um, they like to play in the low 60s if possible, but usually they're in the upper 60s in their games. Um, they're a team that their leading assist man has 1.9 assists in Darien Spotsville. Uh, really good name, uh, but he's leading the team in assists, and he's a guy that only plays 19 minutes per game. Um, they have a couple of guys. Ty Gross, a forward, averages about assists per game, 1.7, but 11 points per game. Probably their best player. All-around guy's been there a little bit. Um, plays perfectly in their stretch uh, zone that they like to play. Um, was a role player for his uh, for early on in his freshman and sophomore years. Five points guy. Um, really good defensively, but he's turned it on offensively. Pretty much their go-to guy. But a guy really coming on is a yikes in Montero. Um, a guy that, you know, really willed them to the, their first Mac win last uh, last game against Toledo. He went for 26. He's averaging 10.4. He's a Juco guy from uh, the Dominican Republic. 6'5", 195, a really good guard, uh, once again, to play in this 2-3 zone, this um, variation of Syracuse's zone. So it's it's a challenging defensively. It's one of those games where they're going to have hype. They have Bubacor Torre, um, 7 foot 240 yep. from Senegal. Um, challenging matchup for UB, um, you know, comes from Gulf Coast University, but a guy that does score at a 10, 10 points clip, he's going to be better um, than the guy that they just faced last week uh, against Bowling Green. So, um, and he ended up going for double digits. We just can't stop forwards, guys. It's an issue. Uh, guy averaging four went for 12 and then ended up getting the foul trouble in that game. So Bubacor Torre is a, a better version of him. 10, 10 points, two, two rebounds a game. And he's great defensively. Noah Morgan's your run of the milk guard that they have. Another 10-point score. Junior, he, got, he scored actually 11 last year. He's nothing to be worried about, even though his numbers are there. Once again, another high-energy defensive guy, though. And then they got a Thomas Bellinelli um, scoring seven points per game. Uh, 31% field goal percentage from Italy. A real streaky guy, a streakier version of Fry. Um, so not much there offensively. Once again, I think that we could get into trouble with Bubacor Torre and Ty Gross. We struggle with these forwards, these big physical forwards. Even when I think we have a down matchup against Bowling Green, uh, like I said on the pregame show, uh, they go and feast on us. And just disappointing to see that he was leading the game for most of it um, until Turner took over. So uh, it was disappointing um, effort forward-wise. They just seemed to struggle against Matos. Uh, Kulavakovic last week as well. 
Sierra ran into some foul trouble. So they're going to they're gonna run into some issues with Torre tomorrow. Um, but they don't have the guard play like Turner down the stretch to really cause him much problems. Um, it's going to be a low-scoring game. I, I, I really feel it. So I don't know, Mike, if you have any additional nuggets on EMU or anything you see strategically to beat the zone, you'd be shooting a pretty bad three-point shooting percentage right now. But um, And EMU shoots worse at 28%. I mean, at some point, you just got to shoot, stop shooting the three when you're down into the 20s. So, so did you have anything, Mike, on, on what you saw from EMU or what you got uh, from them? I really don't have much to say about EMU, but when uh, when Ohio Bobcats, when their only two conference wins are against EMU, that tells <laughs> me a lot about a team. So I would say uh, EMU has some issues right now, and they're not the type of team that UB should be losing against. So that's all I'm about to say about EMU. They, they struggled uh, not, there, though. Historically, even with their good teams, they've struggled at EMU. Yeah, everybody struggles at EMU because of the zone, but there, there is zero excuse for this Bulls squad to lose to Eastern Michigan. If, if they lose to Eastern Michigan, the optimistic Mike Bond will no longer exist. I will, I will oh. turn. You'll see a, you'll see a turn from me if they lose to EMU. Wow. Williams Arena is a tough place, isn't it? Yeah, we don't, we don't want to see yeah, that. Yeah, tough they, place because there's no one there. <laughs> do they still have yeah. the gray floor? Yes. Oh, if they got that gray floor still, I'm gonna be absolutely sick watching this yes, game. Yes, I'm almost positive oh, they that do. That thing is the absolute worst, and it's in the factory, yeah, like in that center. factory. Yeah, it just looks yeah. oh, ypsilanti. Well, yeah, I thought the gray floor was NIU. Oh, with uh, yeah, uh, I get the gray floor floors confused. You might be right, Mike. Um, yeah, they have a normal floor. Yep, they have a normal floor, but it is the, the convocation center, and they play in front of a huge arena. Well, one like UB size. It's, it's a fairly decent arena. It's a, it's a it's a beautiful arena. Yeah, fifty people. It's honestly it's probably the best arena in the MAC. It's yeah, just probably. that it's empty every time they 50 play. People, it's a huge barn. Uh, they play this stifling zone, and like I said, even those Bobby Hurley, um, even Nate Oates teams go there and struggle. They bounced us a couple of years ago back in Bobby Hurley and Javon McCray's last game. Um, in the, that was in the tournament, but that zone's stifling. Um, and you just can never, even the best teams in this conference, you just never know what you're going to get from this EMU defense. And they can sneak a game because of their forward play. Yeah, so let's look at this game a little bit more in depth as we talk about these lines here. You got UB going on the road, minus four right now. That that stayed you know, pretty much where it's opened at. Um, some places have it as far as UB minus four and a half. But we look at this over-under, it started at 137.5, it's moved to 140.5. And, and Kev, you mentioned they'd like to stay you know, in those upper 60s. Um, if it's an EMU game here, you got to think it stays under. But if the Bulls get this done, you think they got to be probably in the 70s here. So, Kev, how do you think this one shakes out? Yeah, oh man, like we talked about, that 9,500-person stadium I just looked up. 9,500, it's got to be one of the bigger ones. Um, that's going to have 50 people in it. Um, I'm going with the under, um, what was the total over under Ty? We got one forty and a half right now is the live line. It, it opened high. at one thirty seven. Yeah, that's high. Wow. Because they don't score 70. Um, they're factoring UB to, to get in the mid seventies. And I mean, I have, I have this game jotted down with a UB win, um, 69 to 64, um, that's where I think it's going to be. I think Torre is going to get his points. There's going to be stretches in this game where you're going to get texts from Kevin complaining because we can't stop the forwards. So you just wait for it. Um, 
but I do think they pull it out. UB has strong guard play. Like I mentioned, there's really nothing there to, 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 to contest um, the Graves slash um, Graves slash Jordan matchups. Uh, Antoine Johnson, they're going to feast. Um, it comes down to forwards, though. Can we keep them all out of foul trouble? If they can play their game, play 2-3 zone, we get into foul trouble. Never like playing in you, but I got them, like I said, uh, to that score. Uh, upper 60s for UB, lower 60s for uh, EMU. Mike, what do you what do you have? I'll go UB 67, EMU 59 or something like that, similar to what you're saying. Okay. EMU is just uh, – I, I hate watching their games. I hate when any school in the back plays at EMU just because it, it's sloppy – older basketball i give them credit like they play great defensively but for some reason whenever anybody goes into the convocation center they forget any they they forget how to shoot the ball and i can yeah. see that so 50 people i'm telling you yeah when you have 50 people in a 9000 seat arena it really does mentally do something to you and then typically emu has good athletic players that can really defend but when it comes down to it they won't be able to score. I like the way the UB defense is playing, and I think they're going to be able to shut down the Eagles pretty easily. Yeah, and I think for me, I think what I've seen out of this Bulls offense lately is something that can break this 2-3 zone. I think if you're able to get maybe Brock and Bala involved early on in the pick-and-roll game up top – and you get Jonathan and a couple of these other guys coming in off the baseline, that's going to be able to shred them in, um, and you're going to be able to get a bunch of easy baskets underneath. And if you're able to do that early, you're going to fold that zone back in, and if you can shoot it out, you're going to be able to put up some points on this team. And I think I think this line is moving for a reason. I think the Bulls are going to put up a little bit more points than people are thinking. Um, I think it's going to be... Oof, 75-66 Bulls win over by .1, and they cover. I just have a weird feeling. Their offense just seeming to me right now has the right things going. They've been doing sort of the right sorts of movements and stuff like that to break this zone. Um, obviously, that matchup with Torre is going to be the big distinguishing factor, I think. If you're able to shut him down defensively, and maybe if he gets into a little bit of foul trouble, I think that really opens things up for the Bulls. But it's going to be a huge matchup in Ypsilanti in that convocation center. I can't wait to hear all of uh, EMU's uh, parents yelling because it's going to be absolutely nuts in there. Yeah, yeah, I got – so once again, the one thing that does hold me back is UB scored now um, 66, 77, 77. Um, in back-to-back games, and the CMU defense is probably the best, one, probably one of the best um, in the conference. And that's not saying that they're you know super good or anything overall. They just can't score the rock, um, but they exert so much defense. I mean, it's like watching a Syracuse White. They just exert so much defense. But Torrey is a big matchup problem, guys. I can't stress that enough. Uh, I just when I thought they were over the hump at the forward issues. And I thought they had a winning matchup against Matos, a four-point guy. Once again, I went for 12 to 14 and would have gone for more if it wasn't for foul trouble. So I'm worried about that a little bit. Um, but this is a poor EMU team, um, a team that I do like to want to mention that is seven and three at home. Um, they they do win basketball games at home. Six, they're they're two and seven on the road. So this game is completely different at alumni. 
And that's Kevin saying that, someone that's really been disappointed with the way that he's played at home. But this is definitely one of a, one game that I would love to have at home rather than going to the 50-person arena with a team that's pretty good at home. Um, I would definitely trade to have this game at home over, say, Toledo, who's 500 you know, at both plays, home and away. And, you know, offense doesn't travel. Sometimes it does. It just doesn't matter where they play. They're going to be poor to me um, anyways. So EMU defense can travel, but I just didn't see him scoring at, at UB. Um, so, Mike, I don't know if you had any final nuggets, but um, it's going to be a difficult game, more difficult than you'd like it. I mean, I think you're the, the model for saying that there isn't a big parity in this league. Yeah, I, I think it'll be a decent game overall. I think there's a huge gap between these two teams, though. Uh, Eastern, most of the teams in the MAC, I would expect very close games. Eastern Michigan, though, being at the bottom, I, I really think this is a team that UB should be able to have their way with uh, once you get to the later part of the second half. And one little quick tidbit, I don't know if you guys knew this, I mean, because all of us were, I think, all – in our mid twenties, Kevin, you might be thirty. Well, how old are you right now? Are you in? Are you in twenty still? I'm thirty two in August. Thirty two. Okay, so a little bit older. So we all talk about we've been talking about the convocation center in Eastern Michigan all day um, for this podcast. You guys do realize why they built that, correct? No. Not specifically. What do you? What in what in what regard do you mean? So. That was built in 1997, 98. They had yeah, a I was three years old. Hell no, I didn't know yeah. what it was built for. They, they had a little-known guy by the name of Earl Boykin on their team yep. in, the, in, the, in the mid-late 90s. Little guy? Little guy, yeah. A little little known. Uh, but uh, long story short, we talk about all this UB basketball success in recent years, how we made it to the second round the last two years. EMU in the early 90s made it to a sweet 16, and then in the mid-90s went to the second round when they had Boykin. So they actually were trying to cash on their basketball kind of in the way that we're hoping that UB does eventually. But it kind of just shows you how you have to take advantage of your success when you have it because as nice as things are now, things can fall back to that point to where EMU is. Not saying that UB's ever going to get to that level but uh, of, of falling down, but just wanted to throw that in there because it is pretty amazing that they were once near the top of the MAC for a consistent period of time, and now they struggle to get 500 people at a game. But um, I, I think UB should handle business tomorrow, and uh, hopefully uh, in doing so they can do it in a convincing manner. Yeah, yeah let's hope the Bulls get this notable. one done. Notable concerts, guys. Jay Z, Bob Seeger, Bernie Sanders, uh, Ellie Golding. There's a couple Tiestos or a couple names of, of, of things that they have at this arena. So they get a lot out of it, but um, it's certainly uh, not going to be used for basketball um, in its capacity anytime soon. It is, it is a good story, Mike, because that is something we do not want to. Uh, and I know you have similar things about Ohio's potential success that they could have had. Um, and what happened to them. So. That's a sad story for me, so I'm going to stay away from it. <laughs> Wasn't even a trolling move by Kevin, that was that's, honest. That's for another You want to hear something crazy? 1997, EMU had over 3,000 fans per game. That, that That's crazy when you think about it, like perspective. What is they, it now? It's got to be in the three digits. Oh, God. I Let's see. It shows 2019. Let's, let's just see what they had last year if this pops it up. 
So oh. last year, Eastern Michigan, if if you go by their numbers, sixteen ninety two. So that might be a little inflated. For sure. uh, oh, it's for sure inflated because I've been at UB games where it said there were like five thousand and like football games and eh, maybe. It's inflated for football. There, there's no way. I mean, I'll guarantee Well, you because I... football, they have a requirement that every certain period of years, you need to average at least 15,000. Right. This was funny. Uh, no joke. So a lot of the Mac schools, they um, they know they can't average that every year, but they're trying to avoid the penalties. So Eastern Michigan, the one year, they, they went from like having like 4,000 reported to like 15,000. So most of the time when they do attendance, a lot of schools used to do butts in the seats. But you could also just give away 15,000 tickets and count that as your attendance. So magically the one year, I, I'm pretty sure this happened. I could be wrong. Uh, but EMU actually got to that 15,000 attendance number by wow. fudging the numbers somehow. But uh, got to love them. That's amazing. That is amazing. That is, that is incredible. Because that we know incredible. that's not true. We know there's no way they ever had. 15,000 fans at every game in the season. There's no chance. No. 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 UB averaged 5,200 last year to EMU 1,600. And there's probably averaged out. There's no way we had that many at each game. I mean, we had some big games um, later on in the season. But I see, well, to wrap it up, I see 200 people in the stadium tomorrow at most. So, yeah. With you. Uh, Are you going to yeah, count so them out? It's a, I am. You know what? I feel I'm like we need effort. you to count them out. I'm going to make an effort to really put a number on what I see. I'm going to, like, take different angles. Well, yeah, we'll screenshot one. different angles so we can try to get each section. <laughs> at, like, 10-minute mark in the first half when there's no excuse for, you know, no one's going to come later than that to this. Um, I'm going to look around, and I'm going to do screenshots during breaks and stuff to see. I guarantee you were over-under set at 300. I'm going under. Oh, we uh, can have, way have under. A, uh, we can have a train wreck estimation. Uh, and put we all the pictures together to, to make a panel of the arena. Yeah, we should, because it's going to be dead. It's going to be silent, which makes it harder. The zone makes it harder. UB does gonna, is going to take this between five and seven points, guys, in the 60s to me. Well, but... I don't know. It's going to be more like their practices, though, against the zone. Sure. So, that, I don't know. That might work to their favor. Let's hope it does. Let's hope these Bulls get the win, get back on the winning yep. track, because they need to get into a better seed going into cleveland let's get that first round by let's get us straight to cleveland get me to paninis shout out west her hashtag buy from bunt let's go bulls